me this morning, we are going to be in the New Testament book of Acts. We're in chapter 9 as we are continuing in this sermon series, this, this look at the book of Acts and the first Christian church and how it came, how it came together. Over the last few weeks, we have met this tyrant named Saul. We've met this man who, who received permission from leaders, religious leaders in Jerusalem, received letters to be able to go anywhere and arrest Christians, bring them back, put them in jail, and on his way to a city called Damascus, we were there, we saw when, when, when he, he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blinded for three days, he couldn't see, and Jesus changed his life. Jesus turned his life around, growing this man who had such a hard heart for Christ, growing him into somebody who has a heart for bringing others to Christ. God can change us like that, amen? I want to dive a little bit into background for a moment because this is going to help us understand this morning. Jesus grew up. Jesus was Jewish. He grew up in a Jewish territory. Uh, Jesus did not grow up in a rich family. Most of what we know about Jesus is this small community that he grew up in, and his family would travel back and forth to the festivals in Jerusalem, and they would go by caravan. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. It's about a three-day walk into Jerusalem, and so they would move by caravan. His dad was a man who worked with his hands, probably worked with wood or stone. His dad didn't have a very cushy job, had to work for a living. And we only have one episode in the Bible that tells us anything about the life of Jesus between the time, just right after his birth, and when his ministry starts at about 29 to 30 years old, we only have one episode. It's in his teenage years, and it's only just this small glimpse. And we're going to take a look at this. This is one of those trips that Jesus has taken to Jerusalem for the Passover. He's about 12. He's in the big city with his parents. There's a lot of other people who are there. And they all walked together in this big group. And we're going to start this in the, uh, we're going to start looking at this in the book of Luke. I'm in chapter 2. And I want you to listen to the story. And it's probably something that you've heard in the past, but I want you to hear something that Jesus says at the very end, okay? I'm in Luke chapter 2. We're starting in verse number 41. Luke writes this His parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went up there according to the custom of the feast. And they were re when, as they were returning, spending a, full number of day, spending a full number of days required, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Instead, they thought that he was somewhere in the caravan. And they went about a day's journey, and then they began to look for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When Joseph and Mary saw him, they were be bewildered. And his mother said to him, son, why, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, listen to this, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Yet 
And yet they, on their part, did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Everyone else, everyone else in this caravan, everyone else in the temple, knows Jesus' father as Joseph. The idea of Jesus claiming that this is my, my father, this would be foreign. And, and you might actually get in trouble if people heard that you had just said that. You, you just said that Jesus is my father, or, or God is my father. It's a little bit different than the way that we worship here. This morning we're going to look back at this concept of the Son of God, because that's exactly what Saul starts to preach when he gets his, as soon as he gets his sight back, when Ananias lays hands on him and, and Saul is baptized. So come with me. We are in Acts chapter 9. We're going to start this morning in verse number 20. We read this. And immediately he, this is Saul, began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. We're going to stop right there for just a quick moment. I want you to understand the mindset of the Jewish people at the time, and especially the religious leaders. In order to understand, we're going to have to go into the Old Testament. We're going to have to go into their scriptures for a moment, and we're going to be there a couple of times this morning. The Jewish people worshipped God in heaven, the father of Abraham, Joseph, and Jacob, but they didn't worship, of course, Jesus the way that, that we do. They didn't worship God the way that we do. As a matter of fact, at this moment in our story, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus has been killed, and some people are going around saying that he was resurrected from the dead. And, and there's a reason why the Jewish people couldn't stand the idea of Jesus being resurrected and Jesus actually being the Savior. In Jewish history, there's a time that the Jewish people, the Jewish nation was very strong, was very dominant. But because of their sin, in over many centuries, they were, they were conquered by numerous other nations that would come and, and, and rule them and take them over. And the way the Jewish people interpreted portions of the Old Testament, our Old Testament, their scripture, there was an assumption that God was going to send a Messiah. Now, we don't see the word Messiah in the original language. What we, what we do see is the anointed one. The anointed one. This is God going to take over. He's going to send the anointed one to take over leadership. This is in their minds of the Jewish people, drive out their oppressors, and bring Israel back to a place of prominence. And through the Old Testament, we can see places where this anointed one is referred to as the Son of God. Follow me to Psalm chapter 2. This is God speaking through King David saying this, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, the holy mountain. I will announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have fathered you. There are more places that we see this connection between the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Follow me, we're going to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. This is God's word, God speaking to King David, okay? God says, when your days are fulfilled, that you may go and be with your fathers, that means when you've died and you've been buried, then I will, I will set up one of your descendants after you, 
who will be from your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my favor away from him, as I took it away from from him who was before you, but I will settle him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. Can you see the, can you see the, the Old Testament, the Jewish people looking and seeing the Son of God being a very important figure, right? I want to go to the New Testament now. It's not just the Old Testament that uses this reference. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 1, verse number 1, as we begin the book. It starts out, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, comma, the Son of God. Right there. I'm going to John chapter 1, verse number 34, reads like this. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Moving on to John chapter 1, verse number 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So not only, not only did Jesus refer to himself as the Son of God, we have authors referring to him as the Son of God, the disciples do, even a Roman guard does. I'm in Matthew chapter 27. Now as for the centurion, Okay, a centurion is a Roman guard who is the leader over 100 men, okay? So he is, he's, I don't know, a general, or he has a rank there, okay? So now, for the centurion who was there with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and, they, and the other things that were happening, they became extremely frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. So we have prophecies in the Old Testament looking for the Son of God, using that name, using that title. And now we're seeing it in the New Testament talking about the Son of God. That's from people who are of this world. What about not of this world? Come with me. I'm in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 29. reads like this. And they cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You know who said that? Demons. Demons said that. That's the, you know, you would think, you know, how do demons know who Jesus is? Demons are spiritual beings, right? So, well, before Christ was born of a virgin, is in heaven. They, they know, the demons know who the Son of God is. We find this in Mark chapter 3, verse number 11. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the Son of God. Even demons falling to their knees. The Jews thought that the Messiah was going to come and save the nation of Israel. A a military leader, a knight in shining armor, right? This is somebody who God himself has anointed. Let me tell you who doesn't fit the bill for that. A guy who was born in a barn doesn't fit the bill. A guy who grew up in the town of Nazareth. I mean, does anything good come from Nazareth? A guy who was purposefully homeless. A guy who works with his hands for a living. The Messiah is going to be powerful. The Messiah is, is the, the Son of God won't have to do things for himself, right? He's going to have servants, isn't he? I mean, this is what Saul believed before his Conversion. Saul believed that all of this nonsense about a crucified guy being resurrected, he thought it was all a hoax. 
how could anyone in their right mind claim to be the Son of God? That means that they would be claiming to be the anointed one from the scriptures, from the Old Testament. This would be the person that God sent to save Israel. But after Saul, after Saul was converted and he met Jesus, Saul goes into the synagogues proclaiming he, Jesus, is the Son of God. That is Saul's message. Saul didn't say that this man, Jesus Christ, no, no, he didn't say Jesus Christ. He says this man is, and uses that very important title, the Son of God. See, the Son of God was expected to be their Savior. Saul stated, this man, this man who was on the cross, this man who was killed recently, this man who defeated death, this man who has been resurrected, this man who is changing lives, it is all because he is the Son of God. That's Paul, Saul's message. And Saul isn't done. Saul continues to preach about Jesus. At this point, in Acts chapter 9, there is, and it's not shown in Acts chapter 9. We actually have to go to Galatians to, 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 figure, this, to figure this out. But there's about a three-year break right here. And we see that Saul goes to the Arabian desert for three years. He comes back and he continues to teach about Jesus in the city of Damascus. And we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 9, verse number 21. Luke writes this. All those hearing him, hearing Saul, as, as he continued to preach, continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed all those who called on this name and has come here for the purpose of bringing them, bringing them bound before the chief priests? See, the, the Jews in Damascus, they remembered what Saul had done. They remembered that he was angry around, about Christians. They remembered his threats to Christians. And they remember that they, as Jews in Damascus, anyone who was following Jesus at all, were the target of Saul's, uh, his trip to Damascus. But just because everyone remembered this about his past, that did not deter him at all. I want you to write this down. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time or online, on the back of your bulletin are some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to give you those answers, and they're going to be up here on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes is this. Who you were is always going to be part of your life, but your past does not direct your future. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus does. People know of Saul's past, and they know how much he has changed. People know about your past, and they know how much you have changed. And let me tell you this morning that, that you are not who you were, and I think we can all be thankful for that. Amen? You are a child of God, and either you have started living like one, or we need to start living like one. You are a child of God. And yeah, people are going to notice. People who you know, people who you, who you know from your past are going to notice. 
And they're going to be reminding themselves of who you were, and they're going to try. They're going to try and shame you. They're going to try and, and ridicule you. They're going to try and, and disown you from their, their sinful group that you used to belong to, right? They're going to desert you. And I really don't know if that's a bad thing. Honestly, sometimes a whole new group of friends is what we need. Sometimes. Just an entirely new group. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Look what Luke writes in verse number 22. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. We're going to write again really quick this morning. Point number two in your notes is this. Defending Jesus will grow our spiritual strength. Defending Jesus will grow our spiritual strength. You know, I want you to think about a, a, a lawyer for a minute. He gets his very first trial, probably going in there a little bit nervous, right? But by his hundredth trial, he knows what he's doing because he's had a lot of time that he has spent defending, right? It builds your strength de defending Christ, and I want to talk about that for a minute, because I want you to recognize that the title of our Lord in this verse, Saul said that Jesus is the Christ. See here, Saul ch changes that title for a minute. Contrary to popular belief in our nation, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not. That's not his name. It's not Jesus Christ, like, like you, your first name and your last name. Christ is a title. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which is the, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. That is the title that is associated with this man, Jesus. That's what Saul is doing. He is telling people that Jesus is the Son of God. But Saul, watch this, he is proving. So what it says, that he is proving it to them through the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? Saul wants to make sure he is very, very clear to everyone that they understand exactly who he is talking about. A man named Jesus. I know there's rumors of a man being killed around the Passover, and he was nailed to a cross, and they put this sign up laughing at him that he was the king of the Jews. Saul is pointing out that that exact man, that man is the Christ. That man is the Messiah. That man is the anointed one. He is, he is the one that they read about in their scriptures. This, this is Saul saying that everything that you know, everything that you're waiting for comes down to this man. And Saul left them perplexed. He left them in the state of confusion, in the state of, of awe. They were, they were dumbfounded their entire lives. Everything that, that they had been taught that the Messiah was going to come and save Israel, but, but this man who you're calling the Messiah, well, he's dead. He can't save Israel. He's dead. But he's not dead. Saul saw him. Saul knows that he is not dead. Amen? He is our risen Savior. I wonder if you and I could stand in front of 
some very worldly people in our culture, some people who buy into the world's religion that says, choose whatever it is that you want to believe, that, that you are right in your own eyes. Could we stand up to them, those that are saying there is no absolute truth, that Christianity is, is non-inclusive, and, the, and that there needs to be a shift in, in the bringing Christians in out of the dark. I wonder if we could stand up to that group, to that worldly religion, if we could stand up and prove to them that Jesus is the Son of God. That's our job. What is it like trying to hold a conversation about Jesus in the public square? Our public square today, that's like Facebook, right? And Twitter and Instagram and that TikToky thingy. What I don't I don't know. There's a there's a lot of them, but but that public square is is where there is so much false religion right now, and that public square certainly needs a lot of work, needs a lot of help. I I know that there's areas that we need to go and evangelize, and I say be very very careful going into these areas where there is a mob that is out to get you. That happened to Saul, is that what they wanted to do is they wanted to silence Saul, just the same way that they're going to want to silence you once you start proving Jesus is the Christ, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. They're going to want to silence you because that stops the spread of, of the truth. That's what they wanted to do to Saul, I know that's what they want to do to us in our modern day. Come back with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm in verse number 23. I want you to see this. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. There it is. There it is. That is a concentrated effort to silence the word of God. To silence the movement of the Christian faith, to silence belief in Jesus Christ. They are looking, plotting together to make this stop. In our world, you'll find atheists that, that will plot together. You'll find agnostics that will plot together. You will find, you will find many who, who buy into the lies of our current our cultural status, and, and they're plotting together to silence you. They want to do away with Jesus. We all know that. We've all seen that somewhere. They want to do away with Jesus altogether. You know why? It's a lot easier to deal with our guilt if we don't have to look at Jesus. But what we don't realize is that Jesus forgives us and we don't have to come to Jesus with guilt. Amen? It's a different perspective of the way that the world's looking at Jesus and how we need to come. Come with me to Acts chapter 9, verse number 24. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching closely the gates day and night so that they could put him to death. I'm going to move quickly to point number three, and I know this one is longer than normal, and I think there's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks here. Neither our culture our government, our celebrities, or our friends want to hear you talk about Jesus, but we must not stop proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. We can't stop. I know there's a lot in that point, and it's there for a reason, because, as you know, I'm expecting you to always take these, uh, take these sermon notes home and put them on the refrigerator. That's where I know that they go every week. 
So I wonder if, thanks Paul, appreciate that. See, the plan was to kill Saul, to shut up the word from being spread about Jesus. And it's interesting that, that this is the same Saul that came to Damascus to stop the spread of the word about Jesus. And now Saul has been converted, is following Christ, and they want to stop him from doing exactly what he was coming to do. I wonder if you and I have ever been that person. You're going to have to think deep inside. I wonder if you and I have ever been that person who wanted to shut up the word of God so that we could live without our guilt in this worldly culture. I wonder if there's ever a time maybe that we put a magazine on top of our Bible so Jesus doesn't see us. I wonder if there's that time that we have ever purposefully tried to silence the Word of God in our own lives because that doesn't feel very good. See, that's what, that's what in, in Damascus they wanted to do. They wanted to stop the spread of this. And don't fool yourself and think that there are not people around you who, who don't want to silence you from talking about Jesus. There are. There are people in your life that don't want to hear about it. Satan has a lot of power. And Satan has a lot of people. He has a, an entire worldly false religion that is being heralded by every social media platform, every piece of network television, every bumper sticker, billboard, buses. It's everywhere. You can see this world's false religion. And they wanted to shut Saul up so bad that they planned to kill him, but even the government was involved. Does anyone recognize our government being involved anywhere trying to stop people from talking about Jesus? Yeah, I think it's pretty evident. Their government, okay, so this is what they did. Damascus had a wall around it, okay? It was a, a stone wall, big wall. That's how they defended cities back there in those days. And a few gates that's the only way that you can come in and out of the city. And so they put guards on the gates, at the gates, and they're looking for Saul. If he leaves the city, we're going to find him. So they're going that far as to bring in their military to the gates to see if they can find Saul as he tries to get, slip out of town so that they could kill him. That's what they wanted to do. And apparently... Saul was in town long enough to gather some followers. And he's going to refer to them as disciples. Contrary to popular belief, again, Jesus isn't the only one who had disciples. We've talked about the word disciple, right? A disciple is a learner, somebody who is learning, somebody who is studying, okay? So Jesus had disciples. They were learning from Jesus. At the time he sent them out, to be an apostle means to go out. So Paul, Saul in this case, we'll get to his name change in a little bit later, a few weeks. But he has some people who are following his teaching. They're not following him as the Messiah. They're following his teaching. And I want you to see what happens in verse number 25. This is Acts 9, verse number 25. But his disciples took him at night, and they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. They helped him escape. The disciples helped him escape. 
Now, I don't want you to get the impression that, that he's escaping for his life to run away from, from confrontation. No, the believers in Damascus know how important Saul is to the movement, to preaching Christ to other people. They know how important this man, we have to protect this man, because, wow, he has come here. We saw his conversion. What happens if the government gets hold of him and silences him? So the disciples took care of Saul in that moment. Write this down. This is point number four in your notes this morning. You are not alone. Your church has got your back. Let me tell you something. When your back is up against a wall, and it's just people, it's just the, the people who are worshiping this, this worldly culture, and, and when you, your, your friends are just bashing you because they know that you have been, you have, you have come to Christ. They see that. But it's not going to stop. It's not going to get any easier. As a matter of fact, it's going to get harder. It is. But you're not alone. You're not alone. You have a church that will show up with a big basket and lower you out a window at night. We will be there. The church comes together. Amen? Let me tell you something. <clears throat> there are plenty of people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we get ourselves in a position where we are saying the same thing to the same people and they're not listening. Same thing to the same people and they're not listening. Time and time and time and time again. Jesus even talked about that. He had told his disciples when he had sent them at one point, if they don't listen, just head on to the next town. Just go on. Let me tell you, I bet it would be fair to say there are more people who you don't know who need to hear about Jesus than people who you do know that need to hear about Jesus, right? I mean, there is plenty of people to talk to about Jesus. When your back is against the wall from this culture, it, it's okay to just kind of scoot against the wall and get out of there and let's go find somebody else to talk to about Jesus. Let's go find them. Saul was so important that these men, these people in Damascus, they said, you're safe. We need to make sure that you continue preaching about Jesus because you're that important. Here at your church, we see how important you are. I know how important you are. I know that you know people in your life who don't know Jesus. And I would assume that they have seen a change in your life. And chances are, they're wondering, oh, what happened? Maybe there's, oh, that's a you know, Bible thumper, Jesus freak now, right? That's okay, you can call me that. I'm all right with that. Yes, that's our job to evangelize. It's our job to teach them and to tell them, this is why I have changed. It's because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is why my life has changed. And it's our job to tell them and to teach them. But at some point, we might need another group of friends to be able to teach and to, and to tell them. See, Saul 
soon. He's going to be called Paul, and I'll tell you all about that. But he didn't stop. He didn't go somewhere, start a church, talk to these people for the rest of his life. No, he was always on the move. One city to the next city to the next city, telling people about Jesus and moving on, praying for the churches that he's started, and training leaders in those places. But he kept moving on because there are more people who need to know about Jesus. I'm so thankful that this group of people in Damascus saw that there was a plan, saw that there was a plot happening to capture Saul and to stop the message of Jesus moving. And you know what they did? They came together. They saw the, they, they saw the opposition. They came together. They worked a way around it. They said, this is important. Chances are, they were probably breaking the law to break a fugitive out of the city, right? It was that important. They needed to make sure that he is safe and taken care of. At the church, we want to make sure that you are safe. You've got brothers and sisters here that you can call at any time. You call and, and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. I go to work and I've got people who just hammer me and they laugh because they know I was at church yesterday. They see my Facebook posts and, and they ridicule me. Yeah, they're, they're going to. And it's hard. It's hard being rejected. It's hard being rejected for our faith. You've got a family here. You call. You say, you know what, can we talk? Because my faith isn't very easy right now. It's, this is difficult. What can I do? Well, I'll tell you that I really want to see you come here. I really want to see you come to your church first. I want to see you go to your Bible first. You know where our culture's going first? YouTube, Google. You know what? They're going to get a whole mix of truth and nonsense. But in that world, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes between truth and nonsense. Not in God's Word. It's all truth. There is no nonsense. You find the truth. When, when the world is coming at you, I want you to come here. I want you to come back to God's Word. Call your family and let's get through this together. Let's lower each other out through those windows to take care of each other and help each other. It's that important because that's what we do as a church. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you for Saul. I want to thank you for just reminding us that the opposition is going to be there. But Lord, reminding us that we're not alone. That you have put people in our path that we can go to in those times that are tough. And Lord, I, I thank you for I thank you for those who are fighting that worldly battle now. And 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 those who have stood up 
and said, I know what the truth is. It's hard, but I know what the truth is. And Lord, I thank you for a church that has open arms to brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, even those of us who have a past that has been wrecked. It has just been a disaster. Lord, thank you for a church that has open arms to disasters. Lord, because we need that comfort at times. Sometimes we look back at what we've done and we feel, Lord, I'm not worthy. How can you use me? I'm, I'm really nobody. and I've got a lot of baggage. See, what, what God's teaching us is that it's okay. Baggage happens. Saul was used in all of his baggage. He's going to write a third of the New Testament. Lord, I know you can use us. And I pray that, that those of us who are struggling with our baggage, struggling with, with those who are ridiculing us for trying to make a break, Lord, that you will be that strong rock that we can lean on. That we come back to your truth time after time. Lord, I pray that you will silence the lies around us and you will herald and just scream your truth from the mountaintops. Let it permeate our hearts. David's going to play and he's going to sing for us in a moment. I'm going to be, I'm going to be down front. Jerry will be over here. On my left, your right. And if there's anything we can pray for you for, if there's anything that you want to leave here, you come. If you are here today and you say, I don't know, I don't know this Jesus the way that I need to, the way that, the way that I should, if you're here this morning ready to make that decision that says, you know what, I want to start right now living for Jesus. I want to invite him into my heart. I want to be a follower of Christ. If that's you this morning, you come. Lord, I pray for strong knees and legs this morning. That you will let them stand and you will let them walk. And you will let every voice out of these doors go out proclaiming your name as the Son of God. Lord, hear our song and our worship. Hear our prayer. We praise you, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.